Hey, it's the good folks at Comics for Fun and Profit reminding you that nobody Patreons like we Patreon. So join us at C4FAP and go over to Patreon slash Comics Fun Profit and sign up at a level of your choosing. There's various tiers with various goodies for you. Somebody, Something that everyone gets at any level is you get to be a part of our Slack channel community. And you get early and ad-free access to all our episodes. But wait, there's more. So go over to Patreon slash Comics Fun Profit and check out all we have to offer. We urge you, sign up today. Aloha. This is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. In this episode, I will be interviewing Eisner-nominated writer, editor, and podcaster, Alisa Kiewitney. She is here to promote her new Ahoy Comics magazine series called Guilt. Now, two questions, Alisa. First off, did I pronounce your last name correctly? <laughs> Actually, I, it's Quitney. Quit. It, it, I know everyone thinks it should be a Q-U, like a quit, but it's K-W. So it's, it is Quitney. All right. <laughs> and the second question, how are you doing today? I am having a completely insane day, but this is now, I've reached the point of relaxation and just being able to sit and talk with you, which is excellent. No, thank you. For, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Now, before we start getting into the questions and so forth, you know, there's a couple things I, I would like to do. First off, I want to give a shout out to um, Hannah Behedry of Superfan Promotions for setting up this interview. And Hannah, thank you very much for the um, advanced copy. Thank you very much. Again, Hannah, thank you very much for all your hard work. I'm going to ask, do you want to add anything to that? Oh, no, I just, Hannah uh, Hedry and, and David Hyde have been so amazing. Uh, Ahoy has just a great publicity team as well as a great editorial team. Okay. Now, you know, I'm also, before, again, before I start into questions, you know, I want to give our listeners, you know, that I got some of my information from Alisa's website, and it's um, Alisa Quitney. <laughs> and yeah, you know, and yeah, you know, and also please check out Alisa's um, other interview that she did on another podcast, Fortress of Comics, um, Fortress of Comic News podcast, and it just came out on March thirtieth, two thousand twenty-two. Now, Alisa, I want to go over your amazing history you have an incredible history now and feel free to correct me if i'm wrong and and i'm gonna say if i mispronounce your name please correct me it's okay so, okay so now i know you're now correct me if i'm wrong your first publishing work was when you were eight years old it was a book of poems published by the teachers and writers uh co collaborative. collaborative okay now now your first real job was a newspaper reporter in Miami where you did a series on sex and the elderly. Okay, so this is, this is funny. So I, I ended up getting a job at uh, the Jewish Floridian, which was a, a tiny little you mm -hmm. know, weekly paper. It was laid out old school by hand. It was really you know, almost Victorian in its yes. sensibility. And, you know, a lot of the, the pieces were either taken directly from AP or they were just little puff pieces about the Hadassah Sisterhood has a record-breaking, you know, charity drive. Mm -hmm. And I kept coming out with all these ideas and they, 
you know, one of them was, uh, I guess, no, no, it wasn't originally about sex in the elderly. I, I think I went to cover something. Mm -hmm. And then I just naturally ask a lot of questions. And uh, someone mentioned, uh, this was during the whole AIDS crisis, you know, in the mm -hmm. 80s. And someone mentioned no one ever thinks that the elderly are at risk, but actually yeah. there, you know, is a lot of sexual activity in the nursing homes. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, well, that's the most interesting thing I've heard since I started working. Yeah. So I, I asked more questions and that piece ended up being all about sex and the elderly. And the um, the sales of the paper jumped by some enormous amount. And they were like, Quitney, you've got this is your beat now. Sex and the elderly. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna set South Florida retirement communities by storm. Now, for our listeners, you know, because I'm gonna remember um, because I remember back in that in those times. Yes, because all of a sudden, I think in the early '90s, you know, it was like you know there was this. And this was being taken seriously in the news, you know, about not only the AIDS epidemic among elderly, but also sexually transmitted disease. It was all starting to come out, you know, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Now, yeah. And I think, you know, it, it, prior to that, I think the, you know, older people who, who were no longer scared of getting pregnant kind of figured like, hey, this is great. We do not have to worry about condoms. Yeah. So I'm allowed to say condoms. Yes. Um, and, and feel free so, anyway, to um, <laughs> so that was, yeah, so that became my beat was the sex. And I learned more about pre Viagra, um, you know, sex things that would help, uh, with sexuality in older mm -hmm. age yeah. than probably any other 20 something mm -hmm. person in South Florida at that time. So yeah, it was a singular accomplishment. Now the thing is no, for listeners, you know, I mentioned this because to me, it kind of ties into your, it a little bit ties into your series, <laughs> a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm sorry, if you don't mind, I'm going to continue on. Now, you, your master thesis became your first prose novel um, titled Till the Fat Lady Sings from HarperCollins in 1992. The book, mm -hmm. is a, the book is about a comedy of manners about college and eating disorder. Now, this made the New York Times new and noteworthy um, paperback list or something, right? Correct? Yeah, yeah. It got a really great review in the Sunday uh, Times book review, too. And uh, and I was so young that, uh, you know, it, it just felt like, oh, this is, this is this great thing that happens whenever you publish a book. But uh, I'm still waiting for it to happen again. <laughs> now, also, too, now... Um, after, now, um, I know you've written a number of, of novels. Um, some of your other novels include, now correct me, I'm just going to pick out just, you know, one title is um, Corpse and Crown Harlequin Teen in 2018. Am I pronouncing the title correctly? Yeah, so um, Corpse and Crown is actually the second in a duology. It's uh -huh. Cadaver and Queen and Corpse and Crown. And they are, they each focus on a different main character, so you can read them apart. Uh, but they are uh, about, I, I call them my uh, Frankenstein meets Grey's Anatomy uh, YA novels. And they're, they're about uh, a school that, that creates biomechanicals for Queen Victoria's army. It actually started life as a vertigo proposal. 
Uh-huh. And uh, I, I think at that point, it, you know, whether it was the historical nature or whatever it was, it didn't quite work out as a, a graphic novel. But originally, mm-hmm. uh, Cadaver and Queen was going to be a, a graphic novel or a series. That sounds pretty cool. It does. Okay. And then um, you've also, you know, you've done, you've written, um, you've done some work for DC and we're going to get into that a little bit more, but um, you did, um, you wrote Mystic You um, that came out in 2018 and that was a three-part miniseries focusing on a young Zatanna. And the art was done by Mike Norton. Um, he, the artist of, um, the uh, creator of Battle Punk, correct? Yes. Yes. So I think the first issue might have come out in 2017 and it concluded uh-huh. in 2018 uh it was originally i think was it 348 page uh uh you know standalone and then it was collected so this was it, it's a it's funny the series was supposed to come out earlier like 2015 and uh-huh. then it didn't and then it sort of got reinvented but it's basically about um, Zatanna and um, and a bunch of other magical DC characters going to uh, a magical university. And instead mm-hmm. of, you know, who will become the great hero, it's sort of who's going to become the Voldemort of the bunch. Oh, okay. Because I'll be honest, when I heard, when I saw that you wrote this and the artist Mike Norton is like, I got to look this up. I have to check this out. So I, I have to say my favorite thing about that series is I got to create a character called Plop, which was sort of an ode to yes. my my love of the series Plop and to all of the gross, gloopy, drippy horror of the 70s in DC Comics. I know what you mean. I'm sorry, I'm kind of going off the cuff here and I'm going to try to make this real short. Um, Swamp Thing, Len Wein, Bernie Wrightson. Oh, what was it? issue two or three i still remember it with the patchwork man and then you had that that one creature with the hand and the head on oh my god i just i love you know gross out stuff and my my daughter at that point was in college and she said it is so disgusting when Mm -hmm. you go into the shower in you know on this hall it's just filled with all these weird sticky substances and I found myself thinking like, oh, mm-hmm. that would be great for a horror comic. <laughs> because, you know, if, if you know how witches are supposed to keep their, their toenails and, you know, not let anyone have their hair cuttings. Like what if all that effluvia, all your sweat and mm-hmm. spit and other things, you know, were, was magic. And then it would be collecting in the drains and dripping down into the basement. And uh, anyway, Mike Norton, uh, was absolutely great great to work with um and it, it really i think came out beautifully okay all right um let's still continue on you also written you also wrote the sandman king of dreams that came out in 2003 and correct me if i'm wrong that was a non-fiction um novel about the sandman series that you worked on correct a or, non-fiction yeah. book yeah so yeah. that was i i you know worked with neil and mm-hmm. um and it was for vertigo and another publisher. I also did, um, let's see, Vertigo Visions, Art from the Cutting Edge of Comics. So these were, I was no longer working on staff as an editor, but they were Uh sort of editorial books in that I was going to the creators and working with Karen Berger or with Neil Gaiman and and coming up with, you know, a book to sort of be a companion to to the comics. And also to, you know, for our listeners also to, Alisa has also written just recently, 
uh, Marvel's prose novel, Rogue Untouched, that came out last year. So yes, that was my pandemic puppy of a novel. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, like I mentioned, you have an amazing history. Now, you work, now, like I say, you can correct me if I'm wrong in any part of this. You work for the DC um, vertical line um, for about seven years. Roughly, was it from like 1992 to about the 2000s? Yes, I'm trying to remember. So I, I left, um, it, you know, it's hard to say exactly because yeah. that's roughly because what happened is I, when I had my second um, child, mm -hmm. I was still freelancing and I figured, okay, between being the mom of young kids and wanting to write and wanting to edit, I, I didn't feel like I could keep all those things going at the level I yes. wanted. So I left my staff editing job, but I was always coming back. I was doing, you know, the Vertigo Visions book. And mm -hmm. then um, when another editor, Stuart Moore left, I came back for a little while and I was Stuart until there was another hire. So, you know, for a long time, I just felt like I was gone, but not completely. Yeah. So, and now during your time at D, when you're working at DC, you worked with your Karen Berger, um, and Neil Gaiman. Um, now you worked as an assistant editor on the Sandman um, series. Then um, you became a full editor on the Dreaming and on the Lucifer series. Is that correct? Well, Lucifer, it's kind of funny because I had been, um, I found Mike Carey as a slush pile, you know, writer with, I can't remember what, what the, uh, what the project was, and I had started to work with him to put together uh, Lucifer. I wanted mm -hmm. him for the writer of Lucifer, but I left before it was completely launched. So Shelley um, Bond, who was then Shelley Roberg, took over, and um, you know, so she she just did an amazing job, and uh, I was just I was thrilled with how everything turned out. But the thing is, but I think the incredible thing is that you were there literally at the ground floor of vertigo i was there at the basement because vertigo, okay. i was there before vertigo was officially vertigo <laughs> um yeah no i i was i guess i came was i tom pyre was the assistant editor yes. uh before me mm -hmm. and it had been art young before him so i was there pretty pretty damn early on <laughs> am i allowed to say damn yes yeah okay <laughs> all right and then i'm just gonna wrap up and then you also um, teach writing. Um, you're an editor at, um, is it? Li Li Liminal, Liminal, Comics yes. At Brian I did. Press, okay. <laughs> yes, I, um, I've, I have not been able to do as uh, much uh, editing on that front as, as I have liked recently, but I did a wonderful book with Al Davison uh -huh. uh, and, um, and his uh, creative partner. And I'm just having a momentary I knew her first name is in and I'm trying to remember I'll have to I'll have to look this up because um, my brain is a sieve and loses things but um, yeah so I, uh, I I love editing and I miss editing but sometimes especially with the pandemic I haven't been able to do everything is um, at the level I at the rate I'd like to now I'm gonna ask did I miss anything um, I, 
I can't think of anything right now. Oh, I mean, just I'm doing the Sandman podcast right now as well. Yeah. Uh, so one of one of the things that I've been working on uh -huh. is uh, my friend Lani Diane Rich yes. is just an incredible um, story writer and story expert, uh -huh. and um, she's come out with a wonderful book on story and writing. So she has done other podcasts on Buffy and yes. Good Omens. So we teamed up to do a podcast uh, called Endless. Uh -huh. And it, first of all, we're, we're reading the Sandman comics. We've just concluded season of the season of the mists. Uh -huh. And then we're going to season of mists. I can't talk or think right now. And then we're, we're taking a little hiatus and we're going to come back and start talking about the Netflix movies, uh, the Netflix series when uh -huh. it starts. Oh, okay. This is what happens when you get up at five in the morning to start preparing your taxes. It's just, it's all, it's all pretty bad. What can I say? Um, now, <laughs> um, let's see. Um, one, I just want to, uh, because now the podcast now, I know you guys have about 30 episodes right now. Up, um, oh dear um, God, up, do we? Yeah. Uh, about just about. Yeah. I think, yeah, because what it was like 20, 27 or twenty eight uh, Sandman episodes, and I think mm -hmm. we uh, and then we had uh, a special uh, Karen Berger interview that we did. And up ahead, we'd like to do more interviews with uh, people who were uh, creatives on the on the series. Uh, okay, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, because I, um, I'll be honest, you know, listeners, you know, um, preparing for this interview, you know, I listened to the trailer. It's great. Um, I was able to listen to part of the first episode i just didn't i just didn't have too much time but but it sounds great if, you know um and i mean if if you guys are big sandman fans you know, i i you know i think this is the perfect podcast because yeah again like elisa said she was in the basement when all the start you know you know she probably was hearing rumblings you know <laughs> Yeah, so she was there. <laughs> and and uh, Neil keeps listening and correcting me or adding little tidbits when I, you know, if I if I say on the air, like I'm not sure about this, I get I get, you know, a little uh, message afterwards. Uh, oh, don't you remember? <laughs> Elisa has followed in her, you know, in her parents' footsteps. You know, her late father, I'm gonna try to pronounce your um your father's name correctly, Robert. Sheckley, is that correct? That's right. Yeah, very good. Yeah, he he was a science fiction writer. He was you know nominated for a Hugo and Nebula Awards, and in the mid seventies, he was the first fiction editor of Omni Magazine. Now, to me, you know, listeners, and I'm, I don't even know if Omni Magazine still exists in any form today. I, it, I think it exists uh, in in an online version, okay. but like you know, people people don't read as much. Um, physical objects anymore yeah. so and the thing is you know to me this magazine like really dealt with hard science fiction and you know science facts you know and then in 2000 uh, in 2001 uh, you know mr sheckley he was named now i'm going to try to pronounce this word correctly author emeritus by the science fiction and fantasy writers of america Emeritus, yes, yeah, no, it was, it was, he, he used to say, you know, one minute you're a promising young talent, next you're a grand old, you know, expert in something, and uh, 
you don't feel any different. <laughs> now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is, you know, and bringing his name up is because, you know, we, you know, comic books and pop culture friends, we have seen his work in movies. His novel, The Game of X, that came out in 1965, was loosely adapted as the 1981 Disney, Disney film Condor Man. His other book, Immortality Inc., it came out in 1959, and that was, if I remember correctly, was his first novel, and that was loosely adapted into the movie Free Jack that came out in 1992. It starred Emilio Estevez, Mick Jagger, Rene Russo, and Anthony Hopkins. Yes, and, and you missed one. Oh, I'm sorry. You missed one earlier one. So in the 60s, uh -huh. his short story, The Seventh Victim, uh -huh. became uh, the movie, The Tenth Victim, and then became a novel, The Tenth Victim. And that was an Italian movie with Marcella Mastriani and Ursula Andress. And she's wearing like a uh, that breast, like metal breast gun thing that fires <laughs> that gets made fun of in Austin Powers. So, and you know, the whole soundtrack is very groovy 60s, like da 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 yeah. da <laughs> Oh my God, I've got, I've got to check, I've got to <laughs> Oh my God. The, the story and the movie are very different. And <laughs> I think that at the time, I think my parents were underwhelmed by the movie, but now it is just a piece of camp exquisiteness that, you know, just really needs to be seen and heard. <laughs> Oh, and then also to your mother, I'm, gonna, I'm hoping I pronounced your name correctly, Ziva? Yeah, Ziva Quitney. Okay. Um, she was a journalist um, and a writer. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Now, the only thing I could find on her is she wrote an introduction to a book called Frostbite and it was photographs. Um, she wrote the introduction uh, yeah. in yeah, 1978. She did other things too. She uh, wrote a lot for Cosmo, Cosmopolitan mm -hmm. Magazine and Ms. Magazine, like Hildy, yes. the, the title character in, in uh, Guilt. Mm -hmm. And she, um, she also wrote the, uh, she co-wrote the cover story to a New York Times Magazine article. And she was a collaborator on the Human Catalog of Sexual Consciousness. So uh, in a lot of ways, she had a career that was similar to the career that Hildy has in in the comic. Oh, that is great. Um, were your parents were your parents very supportive of you becoming a writer and editor? Well, yes. I mean, so my my parents split, and my father moved to Europe. So I didn't have a lot of contact with him between, say, the ages of seven and fourteen. Mm -hmm. But. It just writing and books were in the house. And mm -hmm. so by the time I did get to know my father at 14, I think it would have been a really awkward meeting if we just were trying to connect as a father and a daughter. Mm -hmm. But instead, I was just really curious about books and writing. And so, and that was really the only way my father knew how to communicate anyhow. So it was, no, in, in its way it worked out because we could talk about books and science fiction and humor. And, um, and that gave us, you know, a lot of common ground, but my mom was very supportive, mm -hmm. um, really taught me a lot about writing and about mm -hmm. revision. Oh, okay. That's great. Now, are any of your children interested in following your footsteps to be a writer or an editor? 
I don't think so. My daughter is uh, an environmentalist and, and a mm -hmm. biologist, and my son is is working um, in a lab on the, um, it's like uh, biometrics, which is the mathematical side of, of modeling. So they, 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 they're in the science side of the yes, science fiction. Yeah. <laughs> that is incredible. That's amazing. Okay, sorry. Um, I'm gonna but they're readers. They're readers. Okay, well, that's good. It's okay. So now, where can listeners follow you on social media? Okay, so um, so first of all, I uh, on Twitter, it's at a Quitney. Um, Facebook, I think it's Elisa Quitney Sheckley, um, mm -hmm. because I, I have written under both names. Yes. Uh, I have my, my website. On Instagram, I'm Kay Witty, but here's the embarrassing thing. I really haven't posted much on Instagram, but I've started to draw with Visual Arts Passage because um, I, I, you know, I've been teaching uh, writing comics and I thought I should learn to draw a little better. So the only thing on my Instagram page are these really bad drawings. Uh, I just posted last night, we were drawing Uhura and uh, Spock and it's, yeah, it's, so I'm going to be really embarrassed if a lot of people come no. on and look. I'm not a good artist, guys. I don't consider myself an artist at all. But I'm kind of displaying my my art because that's part of what the assignment is when you draw um, mm -hmm. on Thursday nights with the Visual Arts Passage. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm going a little off the cuff here. How big of a Star Trek fan are you? I am a huge original Star Trek fan. It formed me. I did watch Next Generation. I, I'm not as up on the other stuff, but uh -huh. um, original Star Trek was, I was much more Star Trek than Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so I, oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm kind of going <laughs> off the cuff. Listeners, I, because before we started, I told, you know, I, I sent Elisa my questions. She saw how much stuff I had. <laughs> I have to ask, I'm sorry. So did you get a chance to meet any of the original actors or get their autographs? No, I mean, so uh, here's the thing. My, my father, I think, tried to write for um, Star, Star Trek and did not get something accepted. I did, okay, so here's my weirdest experience. You have to remember, I didn't grow up with my dad. We weren't in contact. But I, uh, when I was about mm, 10, 11, I started, I discovered the Twilight Zone and uh -huh. I was watching it late at night. And uh, my mom had already gone to sleep and I'm watching and there's some episode about a missing plane. There's a few of those. And I hear something, something, Mr. Sheckley. Now, Sheckley is not a name I've heard anywhere else. It's not like, you know, there are names that, you know, could be anyone. Yes. I have no one who's not related to my father that I've met has the name Sheckley. I freaked out. I felt like my little black and white TV was talking to me yeah. and I ran, I shook my mom awake and she said, oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay. Look, that was a thing. Your dad was um, publishing so much and under pseudonyms that a bunch of science fiction writers used his name in things in order to try and flush him out. I, I don't understand exactly how that was supposed to work. Um, another story. And again, this is not something I experienced is Vincent Price was doing a project with my father and he called the house and he said, you know, in his Vincent Price voice, 
may I speak with Robert Sheckley? I can't quite do the Vincent Price voice. And my mother said, oh, you're, she thought it was her friend joking. Yeah. So she hung up on oh, him. Oh and, and then Vincent Price called back and said, I am not Ricky. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. Yeah. That, that is so awesome. <laughs> that, <laughs> Thank you. That is so because we it's meeting it's meeting these you know these movie stars in normal day situation you know Vincent Price calling your house you know <laughs> but again i never spoke to vincent price uh the closest i ever got to him was buying his cookbook and trying to make some of the dishes in it so that's uh don't don't get too impressed with me <laughs> no but um but then now it's like whenever sci-fi is going to throw, you know, do, 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 do those Twilight Zone marathons. Me, because I know about you know, those missing airplane episodes. I'm going to really pay attention more. Be on the lookout. There's, <laughs> there's a Sheckley one. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I'm going to, so you already started to talk about a little bit about your childhood. Where did you grow up? I grew up on the Upper West Side in a pre-war building, Classic Six. My mom is not in the same apartment, but she's in the same building. Uh -huh. And so I know a lot of the idiosyncrasies of these old buildings. Uh -huh. And this was my playground in the 70s. Like it, it was looser and wilder. So instead of having a playroom and being uh -huh. supervised, from a pretty young age, I was just allowed to go up on the roof uh -huh. and climb. So uh -huh. there were those water towers and various <laughs> ladders that went up things. And, and it was just like, be careful. Yeah. Yeah. Just, <laughs> you know, yeah. go play on the roof. Yeah. And, um, so that's part of what I wanted to get at in writing a comic that's set in this wonderful, magical, spooky building mm -hmm. and, and going back to the seventies when things were wilder. Oh yeah. And, and because I mean, I, because I understand because, because, you know, I grew up in the seventies and, you know, it was, it was very common for our latchkey kids, you know, seven, eight years old, go home, open, you know, you, you know, you know, go home unsupervised, un un you know, no adult supervision for two, three hours. Nobody, you know, nobody calls child protective services on you, but you know, but times have changed now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and, but, but we grew up okay, you know. <laughs> That's probably what people said in the Middle Ages. We didn't need any protection from plagues. The plague wiped out half my village, but I'm fine. <laughs> Um, what, what was or were your first comic or Sunday comic strips that you read? Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, so I, I don't remember which the very first were. I was very young when I discovered horror comics, House of Mystery and House of Secrets, um, Midnight Tales, a lot of the Charlton ones. And I loved them really fiercely. Once I discovered horror, that was my top choice. Mm -hmm. But I would read everything. I read Archie comics. I read romance comics. I read superhero comics. Oh, and my mom, I think when I was around six, my mom found me Shanna the She-Devil, which uh, was a Marvel comic. And she was this feminist jungle queen. Oh my God, I loved her so much. Uh -huh. 
And that was only what, five or six issues. And then there was a limited um, run of The Cat, which was another Marvel feminist oh, yes. hero. He became Tigra. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. So those were my early fierce loves, and I still have my issues. Oh, that is so cool. That is so cool. Um, I'm going to ask, you know, um, I, I know you, um, what about what, um, I know in previous, in a, uh, I can't remember which podcast, but I know you, you now types of novels you read were, were, were the romance novels? Is that correct? I read everything. You mean as okay, a kid, great. I well, I didn't start reading romance as a kid kid, no, but no. I was reading um, all of the books in my, my father's shelves. So a lot of science fiction uh, short stories from the 50s and 60s. Um, what else was I reading? I, I was reading a lot. And, you know, in the old days, there, there wasn't, people didn't pay as much attention to what kids read. So if I found yeah. something that looked interesting, but was inappropriate, I read it. Yeah. And, you know, and so I, I was reading a bunch of high and low. Um, and when did I, I discovered romance, I think when I was about 12, because mm -hmm. I was looking for comics and my cousins in Florida had stopped reading comics and started reading Harlequins. Mm -hmm. And I, I said, you know, this is terrible. This is a nightmare. What am I going to, because I also used to read incredibly quickly. Mm -hmm. So I would, you know, I worked my way through everything I had and they mm -hmm. used to have. And so that's when I started reading romance as well. Um, so I'm going off the cuff questions. Do you have a favorite science fiction writer? Um, honestly, I love my father's writing. I, I you know, yeah. it was, um, I don't know how much it even was that he was my father because there were other writers I loved too, but he was an absurdist and a humorist. Mm -hmm. And um, it just was very compelling for me. His stuff is incredibly philosophical and yet really, really accessible. Okay. Um, so I'm going to continue on. So Drew, Comics for Fun and Profit, the co-host submitted this question. What was your first comic shop? You know, my first comic shop was just a local stationery store, you know, around the corner that sold candy and, you know, cigarettes to the parents, and mm -hmm. to the kids when no one, I think I bought a pack there when I was 12 too. We I mean, it was, that, right? I, yeah, I it was, find, I, it, sorry. It, anything anything yes. and they were chocolate cigarettes and um so that was those were my first you know way of getting comics and then comics disappeared and i think i must at some point have said you know where did all the comics go and someone mm -hmm. said comic book store mm -hmm. and there's one you know i remember there was one i think 86th street amsterdam somewhere around there in the city and i remember going in it was you went down some stairs it was pretty dark mm -hmm. and i do remember a kid staring at me and saying like there's a girl <laughs> so but i didn't care you know it um I don't know, the, the city was grittier and more interesting in those days. And there were also these, you know, so there'd be a comic book store, there'd be a Santeria shop where you mm -hmm. could go and buy, you know, they, I was not, you know, just because a, a shop didn't look like it was filled with people who looked like me did not uh, dissuade me from going yeah. in and, and taking a look around. <laughs> All right. Um, now, um, now, you know, we touched a little bit about, you know, um, working in comics, but how did your journey start started working in comics and and writing novels how did that happen 
Oh gosh. Well, I always intended to be a writer. And I, you know, I think I, I was working at those little Jewish papers. I tried to see what the Miami Herald would say if I sent them my resume and they yeah. said, no, thank you. Uh, at that point, I decided I was going to go to, I was going to go back to school. So I would kind of learn how to write a novel. And I attended Columbia University's fiction writing program. Uh -huh. That was a two-year master's program. Uh -huh. And then I needed to get a job. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because I was in my 20s. Most of my friends were already working at, at things. Mm -hmm. And um, so most people who in those days who were writing would often work as assistant editors at one of the big five, uh, you know, big publishing houses. Mm -hmm. So I tried out there and I remember an editor saying, I'm going to treat you hard, you know, <laughs> ride you hard and mm -hmm. send you home wet and you're going to have no free time. And I'm not going to pay you very well. Um, and I thought, well, that sounds pretty lousy. Yeah. So I, I was also reading genre. I was reading comics uh -huh. and I was reading uh, romance. So I thought, you know what? Let me see what else in New York City I can apply to. So I applied to Silhouette and DC and Marvel, which were uh -huh. both in the city at that point. Yes. Uh, DC got back to me. Uh -huh. And uh, and so I interviewed. And when they asked me, what kind of comics do you like best? instead of lying, uh, I said, you know, honestly, my favorite comics, I don't think you put out anymore. I loved yeah. the House of Mystery and the House of Secrets. Yeah. And they said, oh, well, you know, actually, you then should, should talk to Karen Berger. And at that point, of course, uh, both with Swamp Thing and with Sandman, uh, the characters Cain and Abel Yes. who were the, the hosts of the House of Mystery and House of Secrets, yes. were being repurposed and revisited uh, for a more mature audience. Mm -hmm. So I ended up having uh, a follow-up interview with Karen Berger. And I've told this story a lot of times. I don't know if people are sick of hearing it, but um, I went to interview and I thought it was going well. Karen was pregnant at the time. We went out for lunch and then we came back and then just, by the end of the interview, she suddenly started frowning at me and looking really unhappy. Yep. And uh, I thought, crap, you know, what have I done? And, mm -hmm. and then I said, does, does your head hurt? And she said, yeah, I'm getting a headache. And I said, oh, and you're pregnant. And without thinking, I reached over the desk and started to massage her temples. Yeah. And as one does. And as I'm doing it, I'm thinking, hmm, this might not have been the right choice. Uh, but she she decided it was okay so i i got the job <laughs> i don't recommend that this is something that people do routinely um but it worked for me <laughs> now i have not heard that story <laughs> oh, good yeah. All right. now in one of your interviews you mentioned that, and you mentioned previously that you worked with, uh, or early in, you know, when I, you know, um, that you worked with um, Tom Pyre. You guys, you guys shared an office together, correct? We shared an office, and we moved a number of times in those early years, and somehow I, I don't know. We we were both smokers. It was still allowed to smoke indoors, yes. and we were given an office that was ventilated as if it was a room full of computers. I don't know what happened to the actual room full of computers, mm -hmm. but we could smoke as much as we liked. And it, it was absolutely, everything was blown out. It was lovely. 
It was, it was probably like the best COVID office as well. You'd go in there and every germ would be blasted out of there. Now, I'm joking on this part. Back then, did you or Tom, did you guys bum smokes off of each other? Like, hey, Tom, I'm out. You got, you got at least one or two I could, you know, get me through the day. <laughs> oh, oh, I think probably I may have bummed one off of him. I think he always had cigarettes in those <laughs> days. All right. So now we're going to talk about your series, Guilt. Now, for our listeners, can you tell the listeners what is the story about and how did you come up with the story? Oh, gosh. Um, so it is about uh, two time-traveling women. One is in her 70s, mm-hmm. and she's a raunchy old broad uh, living on a steady diet of you know, cigarettes and regret. And she is in a, a, a rather spooky building. I, I, you know, I used to say this is Sex in the City meets the Golden Girls by way of the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Now I've begun to say... It's like Rosemary's baby. If instead of focusing on Rosemary and the baby, Ruth Gordon, you know, the little old witch, was a star and the co-star was, I don't know if anyone remembers, she has this neighbor, Lara Louise, who's kind of twitchy and Mm -hmm. middle-aged. Go rewatch, you know, (laughs) Rosemary's baby. You'll know what I'm talking about. Um, So anyway, it's, so Hildy is this woman. She used to be a journalist. She used to be a Carrie Bradshaw type, you know, sexy journalist mm-hmm. in the seventies. And she has this big regret. Um, so she has, this is really her last chance to go back and change uh, something she, she very much regrets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she is beginning to be forgetful. And uh, her nephew has arranged for her to have a home health care aide whom mm-hmm. she does not want. Mm-hmm. And that's Trista. Mm-hmm. Trista it belongs to the Bill Murray School of Employment. Mm-hmm. Do as little as is humanly possible and uh, get your paycheck and go home. <laughs> so Trista really is not uh, eager to... Well, the only thing that Trista cares about besides her paycheck is really not wanting to go back. She's not someone who wants to relive her past. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for a lot of people, being a kid is as awful as being old and that you don't have agency or control and uh, maybe it wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. the most perfect childhood. But when Hildy goes uh, out through her her uh, back door, which is the yes. fire door in a lot of old New York buildings, mm-hmm. it's a time portal. Mm-hmm. And she winds up breaking the rules by uh, having Trista because Trista's trying to stop her, they mm-hmm. end up going back through time together. Yes. And now they are uh, in 1973. Mm-hmm. Hildy is in her mid-30s and Trista's nine. It's, um, I, like I said, I'm, as much, and I told you this already, I'm not going to try to spoil it for the listeners because, um, because I, I love the rules that you set for time traveling because I'm going to be, and now I, you know, don't even think about, the only thing I know about parameters of time traveling is of course, back to the future and all the time traveling movies. But when I never thought, you know, but I never seen it when, when the people go back in time, it's, Hey, I'm 30 years old again, you know, <laughs> or I'm, you know, which I, is the I, way we all want, to travel back in time. I mean, when I 
say to myself, I'd like to go back to, you know, the 90s, uh -huh. you know, part of it is wanting to be the age I was then and having those experiences. And mm -hmm. if I want to redo something, it's not like you want to go back in time and be just watching your younger self go through things. You want yeah. to be able to be that younger self. So Tom Pyre was wonderful. I mean, I, I knew what I wanted to write, but sometimes I would get bogged down. He just kept saying, you know, write the story you want to write, make uh -huh. the rules, follow what, you know, the story that you want to write. And so I thought about it this way, you know, when you go on vacation uh -huh. and you go to some resort and you're nervous, you're stressed out, you so many things on your mind. You're like, if I could just sit on a beach chair, by a pool, by the beach, I would let go of all my worries. Mm -hmm. And instead, you begin to bring all your anxiety to the vacation. You're like, God, you know, uh, I want to be this close. Why did these people set up their blankets so close to mine? Um, oh, you know, how are we going to get from here? You know, and if you don't, if you don't control this, you bring your your whole set of anxieties. You know, except now all you're worried about are the things at the beach. Mm -hmm. And I thought you, you know, you had this fantasy that the past was a simpler time. And if you could go back and be nine or be in your thirties again, everything would be simpler and better. And, but no, you, you know, the longer you are in the past, uh -huh. the more the past takes over and you, it's hard to change because you're now being shaped by the hormones and the circumstances of the past. Ah. So that's, that's the time travel conundrum in, in my universe. Said it sounds great. It it really does. Um, let's see. Um, Thank you so much. We we should talk about the artist too because yes. I realize this is an yes. audio uh, audio audio yes. format, and so people can't see the art. But Alain Morissette. Um, well, Alain. So I I always say this. Morissette is his like official artist name, and mm -hmm. Alain is his real first name, which I think of it as. He is just an incredible artist. We were paired together uh, seven years ago for the original incarnation of Mystic U. It, so many things happened. Uh, DC was moving out, uh, you know, west at that point. Uh -huh. And after that, like we we he, we didn't end up doing that together. And every time we tried to work together, one or the other of us got another, you know, gig. But we did uh, we did a snifter of terror. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe's story, a oh, really okay. wonderfully disgusting um, tooth story. And we just kept talking and hanging out online all through the pandemic. And, um, and finally, you know, this project has been years in the making in the uh -huh. sense that we've just wanted to work together and we are incredibly collaborative. So even though the initial idea of this was mine, our process is very back and forth and uh -huh. we feed off of each other's enthusiasm and uh -huh. fun. Uh, and his art is just, he can do emotionally authentic uh -huh. and he can do like gross drippy horror and, and he can do humor. He's just amazing. Uh -huh. So I, I have to give a big shout out to him. Oh no. Yes. Um, and then we talked a little bit before the, um, before we started recording was, um in um Hildy's apartment like i mentioned that you know there's you know stacks of stuff around Hildy's apartment it's you know um and i could see clearly on one of the stacks of her i guess her notes or articles is and if you guys you know listeners if you guys pick up the issue 
it's you can read what's on the post-it and it said do not marry this man and i was like wow that's that's really clear and it stood out well i i wanted you know alan i i do drive him a little crazy that there are a lot of visuals i love rich backgrounds and I think that that's a lot of what my pleasure is as a comic book reader. I really want to see a lot of detail and I want it to contribute to the story. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a big fan of Billy Wilder who did Some Like It Hot and The mm -hmm. Apartment. And he in turn was mentored by Ernst Lubitsch. And Billy Wilder talks about the Lubitsch touch, which is these wonderful economical nifty ways of telling story through the visuals and i'm not saying i'm great at that i'm just saying i aspire to it mm -hmm. in comics um all the time oh but but you're you know but um mar mara said am i pronouncing his yeah. name correctly? Yeah. i mean he did it well with like i said when i'm you know looking at the panel it's like that's pretty clear what's written on the post-it yes and it, it's not and it's not um and he does it according to the size, you know, it's not, um, he, he does it according to the size of, you know, the folder that it's on, you know, but I can, but I can still read what's clearly on there. And I know he has, that, like, some he's, yeah, I mean, he's put not just that, but there's so many delicious touches that he has included. It's just, you know, I, hopefully our goal was that that each comic should be read at least twice because mm -hmm. you know comics are expensive and if it's the kind of thing where you read it once you're like i'm done then uh -huh. you know maybe you haven't you don't feel like you've gotten your money's worth but if there are all these great things that you might miss on the first pass and you reread and then you you pick up more i mm -hmm. think it feels like oh money well spent now also to um i know you already started to you know you um one of the key I guess, like, quote unquote, maybe characters in the story is Hildy's building, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a role in the story. So, may I ask, can you tell the listeners about how did you come up with this building? Um, you know, it, is this an actual building? And I know there's a couple stories you had, there's. It's based on an actual building. So I started out just thinking, you know, everyone's used. I'm a huge Rosemary's Baby fan, by the way. I just, I, I read and reread the book. I love the movie. Um, but I was thinking the Dakota has been used and used. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there is another cool building, you know, ideally on the Upper West Side, because that's where I'm from, that has... A background mm -hmm. and so I just started to look it up and I discovered the level club mm -hmm. which was built by theosophists according to the blueprint of King Solomon's temple and uh, this was just before the pandemic so mm -hmm. I strolled on over to it and uh, went inside and um, even got invited to see an apartment uh, but there's I mean New York City is filled with stuff that is wonderful and strange and always being in danger of being demolished because mm -hmm. unlike the english americans just really don't preserve the past very well and then your artist now correct me if i'm wrong pretty much he what you know um now he basically drew the picture from was it from pictures that you sent him 
and the is it, is it like is it like is the building almost accurately correct in the i th- i think he's improved on it i don't think there's yeah. really gargoyles because you know king solomon's temple wouldn't have know. had gargoyles and i wanted a little more um spookiness there yeah. but um yeah, so it's you know artistic license but it, well, yeah. it, it's certainly in the dna yeah because the other thing too with the because when i read the story the building looks you know because you know it does it it's it it looks very it looks very nice on the outside you go into the lobby it's very well lit and then yeah that's based on the real level club so you mentioned that you got invited to take pictures of someone's apartment can you tell that story (laughs) yeah so i just i walked in there and said to the doorman hey i'm a writer and i'm writing can i come in and take some pictures and he said yes and then someone walked by with a stroller and I said, oh, you know, this is a great building. I'm, you know, using it as the basis for something I'm writing. And she invited me to look at her apartment. I didn't in the end use her apartment, but it was amazing. This was, and it was right before the pandemic. So mm-hmm. I felt like the last hurrah of a world where someone would casually invite a stranger <laughs> in to breathe their air. No, I'm going to ask because in, in this issue, you know, um, when Trista goes to Hildy's apartment, you have a young mother with her stroller. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, she's, not, uh, she's not actually based on the very sweet woman who let me see her apartment because, you know, you need some forces of antagonism. And uh, so I, I, I often find in New York City, you can see this weird battle on buses between the elderly and people with strollers. And so I just thought I would take advantage of that. Okay. A um, um, couple more questions before I, can, you know, before I start wrapping things up. Um, and, and I think you kind of mentioned this already, but I, I'm, I'm just, you got to refresh my memory. Can I ask you, you know, why did you pick 1973? Is that an important year for you? I wanted it to be the early 70s. The early 70s are actually part of the 60s, what we think of as the 60s. So when when we think about what the 60s are, we're actually thinking of sort of 1965, I would say, to 1975. Yes. And after that, you know, it starts to be more disco and glitz. But the early 60s look more like the 50s. And the late, you know, so I, I wanted it to be part of that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also, we set the, the contemporary parties in 2013 because we just wanted it to be 40 years in the past, like New York, mm-hmm. and it's 40 years in the past. Yeah. Oh, I don't know why it works that way. That's the way it works. No, okay. And then um, I'm going to ask this question. Now, I notice on the cover, the title is, it guilt is spelled G it's an acronym basically. Yes. And then we've already talked about this, but, um, you know, um, um, you know, basically you, you revealed what it is in the first. Yes. You have to, you have to pay attention in the first issue. It is revealed. Although I don't say this, but it could also stand for grandmothers. I'd like to tap. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you can take your, but, but the, there's another explanation that's more occultish that's provided in the comic. Okay. All right. Um, now, 
um, before I start wrapping up, I know you gave a shout out to your artists. Do you want to give any other shout outs to anyone on the creative team? Um, you know, it's actually Alan, you know, he was doing just about everything. I mean, he did the the colors as well. So um, we've got a great letterer and I'm having a brain moment of not remembering the name oh gosh i'm so sorry but no i'm sorry too because i didn't put that in your note because you, normally i'll do that but anyway okay <laughs> i'll i'll have to i'm sorry i'll look that up and but um tom pyre has been the most wonderful editor and um i love i mean honestly i really do love working with ahoy mm -hmm. they've been you know very caring in terms of making things work for for um, Alana and myself as a creative team and uh -huh. you know really getting behind the book so and you know they're just fun to talk to because uh -huh. I like them <laughs> now okay so the last question on guilt before I start wrapping things up who came up with the letter page <laughs> that is the very brilliant Tom Pyre I think I think unless there are actual letters, perhaps. <laughs> well, if there are actual letters, because I have to, now, you know, I mean. I'm like, sure there are actual letters, but, but yeah. you know, Tom is, Tom is old school. And, you know, of course, a comic has to have a letters page. Yes. So I, um, again, you know, it's comics being made by people who love comics mm -hmm. not just seeing them as like a feeder for for tv or, or movies this is comics for people who love comics yeah. because like i said listeners you guys have to please buy this issue i've read it it's great i love the letter page <laughs> because if this is an actual letter because you've seen my notes because if this is an actual letter especially from um Debbie Wil Wilhelm, a mom. This is a mom who has, who has, quote unquote, read this mature comic to her little girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who can say? Who can say? Yeah. I, I feel it would, it, you know, in the 70s, I'm sure it would have been. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, now, because also that letter, I noticed that letter, well, that quote unquote letter, um, was from Banff, Alberta, and I know Gastown, Vancouver was also mentioned in the first issue. So, I, do you love? You know, have you been to Canada? And I've been to Banff actually, and it's amazing. And when I was there, they had like a moose walking through the town. It's a very cool place. <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah, it, it's a very beautiful place. It is. It really is. Well, so is Hawaii. I've never been to Hawaii, and I've got to say, I am that it's on my bucket list mm -hmm. okay all right um let's see i'm gonna start wrapping things up so um i now on your website i saw a couple pictures of a jeremy renner hawkeye figure do you collect action figures i do you know it's really funny i don't think i have the hawkeye one anymore i got I think I got ticked off at something Jeremy Renner said in an interview. And I, I'm not like a perfectionist about these things. And also like, I really loved, I had done a, a Marvel Avengers book that was based on the Brian Bendis uh, story, but I changed things around so I could have uh, Black Widow and, and Hawkeye, you know, this was right after the first movie and I wanted to continue their relationship. Mm -hmm. 
And the movies, of course, went in a very different direction. And as a romance reader, I was pretty disappointed. Mm. And in the end, I was like, eh, I guess I don't have to keep my Hawkeye doll. Um, but I do. I've got, let's see, I've got a uh, Bride of Frankenstein. I've got Endora. I've got Rogue and Gambit because they were in my last mm-hmm. book. I've got a lot of Planet of the Apes. Yes. A uh, fandom of mine. The original Planet of the Apes. Yes. Ah, okay. Um, oh, and I have, I have, wait a second. Oh, yes. I have a uh, Terry Moore action figure. This is, uh, yeah, this is Kachu from uh, Strangers in Paradise. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, so oh. anyway, I think it's, sorry, not coming across very well. Do I have anything else here that's, you know. I have a Supergirl, uh, a Darwin Cook Supergirl. So mm-hmm. yeah, I have, I have stuff. I love toys. It was part of the best part about working at DC Comics. Is everyone had toys. <sighs> that's great. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, um, I'm slowly wrapping things up, guys. No, I also saw that one of your hobbies is improv. Yeah. When did you start doing that? Oh, you know, I took a couple of lessons uh, as a teenager. Uh, my mom was friends with uh, George Morrison, who was an acting teacher. And he actually, Gene Hackman thanked him in, when he got the Oscars. So I, I did a class with him and then nothing for ages. And then I started to um, take some improv locally with Samantha Jones uh, up here in the Hudson Valley where I live. And it's wonderful. It's a great way to collaborate and get story going and and not you know not edit yourself just you know sort yes. of let yourself be creative and and create yeah um let's see um i'm this is an off-the-cuff question are you i since the pandemic is slowly winding down or something are, are you is there any plan for you to go back to do any improv or anything if there's time allotted Oh, that, you know, is an interesting question. My, I was part of a group called Uncle Cannibal. We did disband because it was all on Zoom and I just, I wasn't really um, what I was interested in doing in terms of improv. Now that things are back in person, um, I think eventually I'd like to make my way back to it. Although right now I'm so busy writing that I, I don't have as much time. Yeah. to uh to do improv but yeah i'd like to i'd like to do it again it's fun it's fun to play yeah okay now what is the most fun or exciting thing you love working in comics oh god uh the most fun thing for me is the collaboration with the artist mm-hmm. and being able to throw something back and forth and then you know see the pages coming in it was what i loved uh, when I was on staff where you'd read a script and then you'd get to see these pages come in and it felt like magic. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's still my favorite part. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do you have a favorite convention moment, whether it's either as a fan or a creator? My favorite convention moment is when I was a, an assistant editor. I went to San Diego early days and I went with a, uh, Bill Cobe, who is an artist who was working on a, you know, for me on a, a project. And he said, there's a bonfire with all these artists by the beach. Do you want to go? So I said, yeah. And we went 
And, uh, and I just remember as we're standing on the other side of this big bonfire, I hear one of the, uh, one of the artists yell out, Bill, you sold out to the man. And then they take in that he's with me. And, you know, we were both in our twenties then. they said, who's the girl? And I yelled back, I'm the man. <laughs> and, uh, after that, uh, the guy came over who had been yelling and said to, would you like to look at my portfolio? <laughs> <laughs> so that's my favorite convention moment. Um, do you have any convention or store signing appearances lined up in the next few months or anything? Oh, gosh, I think right at the moment, I think things are going to be virtual. I'm going to be doing um, something with uh, Mega Brain Comics. N either next it's next week i'm i'm yeah i think it's mega brain comics next week i'm doing something with paragraph new york all of these things are going to be virtual so people uh -huh. can join in from wherever they are um and if you want to see me in person uh come to the hudson river valley and find the muddiest doggiest walk you can i'll probably be there pulled along or running after my dog <laughs> all right um any closing words to our listeners Oh gosh. Um, please read, read the comic and write me letters. I want letters for the letter column. <laughs> write me your strange, give me your strange, your bizarre, your letters. Um, I would love that. <laughs> um, so, um, listeners, you know, before I start wrapping things up, you know, I, I encourage you guys, you know, please pick up, you know, um, guilt, Guilt number one is going to be out in stores, I believe, on April 6th, the first issue. That's you know, um, and, you know, again, if, you know, and of course, you know, depending on when you listen to this, you know, it'll probably be out in stores or pick it up in a trade format. It's great. The first issue is very good. I love it. You're going to laugh out loud at stuff and you'd be going, oh, should I be laughing at that? You know, <laughs> um, Alisa, you know, I wish you all the success with your, you know, with your new comic series, Guilt, you know, and your podcast, you know, um, and mahalo. Thank you in Hawaii. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to interview. Thank you very much. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And um, I hope to see you someday in Hawaii. <laughs> um. I also want to thank Hannah of Superfan Promotions for help setting up this interview and the advanced copy. So Hannah, thank you very much. Now, if you are a new comic book reader or a lifelong comic book reader, please check out Guilt by Ahoy Comics Magazine. Like I said, I love this issue. You know, uh, and you know, if you do pick up a copy, please check out those short, those short stories like Return of the Humans by Maggie Dancer and The Leveler by Ryan Rowe, you know, because Ahoy Comics, one of the good things about them is that they add these little short stories or these, these, um, these um, nice little um, fake ads, which is pretty cool. Or um, like in, I think in My Bad, they added like a Mad Lib page, which was great. I think that was great. So, and also, you know, I also want to thank Drew, the co-host of Comics for Fun and Profit, for putting this episode together. Drew, thank you very much for all your hard work behind the scenes. And if you are a new listener, please check out new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Saturday. And I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you very much for your time. 
Thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys. Aloha. Our LCS is Cowabunga Comics out of Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, and their mail order company, Deep Discount Comics. Um, and we went there, and, and we were actually invoice number 0001. We are the we were the very first <laughs> their very first customer, um, which was kind of cool. They've been nothing short of fantastic customer service wise. Discounts they were very close, if not the same or better than DCBS on a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. Over and above uh, customer service wise, always taking care of us, going the extra mile, so responsive, getting instantaneous. Uh, responses back to uh, questions about things to the point where knowing the stuff you like and anticipating your needs and having it suggested that you might want to add this to your order already uh, before you even have to think about about it that's kind of cool really quality experience so we we love working with Cowabunga and Deep Discount and that's why they're in our show notes every single episode and have been for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes mm-hmm. that we leave them there because we like them. They're cool, good people. That's why they're in there. By God, they'd tell you to, if you've got a local comic book shop that you love, stay with them because every, everybody needs to support their local comic shops. But if you're looking, check them out. You can check them out in, in the show notes. There's plenty of ways to get a hold of them. Either get on their list just so you can check and see what kind of FOC and pre-order stuff they have and the discounts, and they'll send it to you um, each month, get you on that email list. And you can check out their shop because they have a great shop of exclusive Cowabunga mm-hmm. variants. Amazing stuff. Yes, they've always been there for us, and we take them for granted. So there you go. Now you, now you know. <laughs>